Today's sponsor of the Movie Date podcast is Audible.com, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at audible.com slash movie date. Hey, Rafer. Hey, Kristen. I'm going to do a celebrity impression. Okay. All right. And, and I want you to guess who is this. Okay. Lay it on me. Ma-na-na, ma-ma. Ba-na-na. Bello. Oh, see. Si. mazel tov. <laughs> You're doing the minions, Kristen. And so are you. <laughs> <laughs> the minions, as everyone knows, are the little yellow guys from the Despicable Me movies. They're the, the little henchmen that are attracted to evil. They used to serve Steve Carell as Gru in the Despicable Me movies. And now they've got their own film, their own feature film. We're going to review that one. You didn't want to try to do a Ben Kingsley uh, imitation, Kristen? (laughs) I am so evil. I have millions of dollars. That's my so heart awful. does not feel so, so good. That my sounds heart, so my little. Heart is horrible. Sounds, I will write you a check. <laughs> that sounds less like Ben Kingsley than almost anything I can think of. <laughs> ben Kingsley is also in one of this week's films called Selfless. That's self slash less, in which he plays a guy who trades his body in for a younger one. That body being played by Ryan Reynolds. We're going to review those two movies. And what else do we have, Kristen? We also have a mystery date this week. Yes. Dun, dun, dun. Mystery. Plus, we have a very special interview with Ditto Montiel. He is the director of Boulevard, which is the very last chance for us to see Robin Williams' face on the big screen. So we'll get to all of that. But first, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture producer for The Takeaway. And I'm Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday. And this is Movie Date. <laughs> Okay, Kristen. <laughs> You're okay, cracking Kristen. me up. You're killing me, Rafer. <laughs> ah. What up? <laughs> Do you want to give us a rundown of Minions, Kristen? Well, Rafer, the easiest way for me to tell you what Minions is about is first to play this clip from the film. Minions. Minions have been on this planet far longer than we have. They go by many names. Dave, Carl. Oh, that one is Norbert. He's an idiot. They all share the same goal. To serve the most despicable master around. Ah, yes. So minions have been here longer than humans. And yes, minions love to serve an evil master. And as a matter of fact, if they don't have an evil master to serve, they get really depressed. Yes. They they, they get quite forlorn. Their mumbling goes from blah, blah, blah to oh, oh, oh. So, yeah, that's what, that's what happens. They sound like that. They're kind of fatigued, lethargic. They need something to live for, and that's evil. So we follow three specific minions who are kind of interchangeable, in my opinion. Kevin, Kevin Stewart, and Bob. Yeah, but, you know, they all kind of talk the same. They yeah, all yeah. kind of move the same and so on. Yes. Um, but they are going to go out there. They're going to find their community of minions a new master to serve. And they go off on this big adventure that lands them all over the planet. So, Rafer, how did you feel about Minions? Well, uh, as you know, I was never a big fan of the Despicable Me films in the first place. Um, I, I, I like Steve Carell. I always thought he was good as the character of Gru, who was the supervillain that uh, the Minions wanted to serve. And those movies had a kind of a kind of heart to them because... Steve Carell, the villain, turns good. You know, he decides that he actually wants to be a good guy in the end. Um, so what we have here is basically a, something very similar to the Penguins of Madagascar, right? You've got these little slapsticky, funny creatures that became so popular in, in another franchise that now they're getting their own feature film. 
And we should say that uh, Sandra Bullock plays their new master, Scarlet Overkill, and John Hamm plays her husband, Herb, in this movie. And they're in 1968 in London, and they're going to try to steal the Queen's, the Queen's crown and give it to Scarlet Over- Overkill. Um, and I, I guess, much like the Penguins movie, what kind of bugs me about this movie is that I don't understand why I'm rooting for the minions. The, the, <laughs> the minions are, are a, a kind of creature that has evolved over time that is drawn to evil. And so we see them serving the T-Rex. We see them serving the pharaohs of Egypt. We see them serving Napoleon. Whenever they see an evil person, they're drawn to that. I don't understand why that's a hero. I don't understand. What were the minions doing, doing during World War II? <laughs> Where, whose side did they take? Right. Okay. It's it's very easy to say. Oh, it's 1968, and, and it's London, and we found Scarlet Overkill. Okay. It's 1975 in Cambodia. What are you doing, minions? Oh, Rafer, you're taking this to such a level. But they, such a level. Ta- if you're little if you're going to give not me the historical the background, Rouge, of little minions, kids do not care about Idi Amin. They serve Napoleon. They do not. Little kids don't care. You know they what? Must little, have served Idi Amin. You know, what, you know what little kids like? They like funny slapstick gibberish. They like bathroom jokes. That's all here. Uh, look, they, I know. And I this know. is essentially. I thought it was essentially the Three Stooges for a different generation. You yes. Have, you have three idiots who just kind of like do dumb things. They fall down. They get into their slapstick adventures. Yep. None of the plots yep. matter that much. Yep. Oh, Every my, kid this age. My kids are going to love it. My yes. kids are going to love so, it. So get into the minds of your kids for a second here. Much like selfless. Get in their minds. <laughs> so get in there and, yeah. and, and think about what little kids like. If you're a little kid, all you need are cute little things that are round, and you yeah, need yeah. them to. And the nonsense talk is super popular. Like, 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 like when my kids saw the the Despicable Me movies for the first time, it was almost a year before they began speaking in a normal language again. <laughs> they just they thought the little the little oh they thought that was just hilarious. I had to put up with that for I swear to you six to eight months. <laughs> and so yeah, this is this the minions. It's going to be a massive, massive hit. It's going to be a worldwide hit. It's going to be a hit here. I think it's going to be one of the biggest opening films that we've had in a long time. I think it's going to be huge. And I hated, hated this movie. It makes no sense. There's so little attention to detail. The plot is so scattered and disorganized. I'm not taking my kids to see this. (laughs) I am not taking them to see Your this movie. Your kids are going to no, love no, this, though. No, yep. someone else can do that. Someone else can do that. It's not going to be me. I hated Minions. I thought Minions was a terrible, terrible date. I also hated Minions. <laughs> I also thought it was a terrible date. But it's going to be an awesome kid date for it's gonna, hundreds of millions of children around the planet. It's going to be an of millions. awesome kid date. Oh, my God, is it ever. Okay. Let's turn our attentions to, a, ostensibly at least, a grown-up film, uh, Selfless. Ah, yes, Selfless. That, that kind of story that we all have come to love where I take my consciousness and I put it inside someone else's body. Yes. We've seen it before. You know, the man with two brains, the, the, <laughs> yeah. the, all, all those movies. You know, you have, a, right. you have a brain, you got to put your brain in another body. Sometimes right. you just got to do that. Or out into the ether like that Johnny Depp movie. Like last the Johnny year. Depp movie, yes. exactly. You could upload it. Yes. Well, that's essentially what's happening here. You've got uh, Ben Kingsley playing Damien Hale. He's a hard-charging billionaire living in New York, but he's dying of cancer. And uh, he gets a little business card from someone, a uh, card from a company called Phoenix Biogen- Biogenic. 
And they've uh, got this little, little process called shedding where they can transplant your consciousness, not your physical brain, just your consciousness, your data, into a new, clean, lab-grown body. That body is played by Ryan Reynolds. So Ben Kingsley has his consciousness transplanted into, into Ryan Reynolds. But, of course, it turns out that the body is not exactly a blank slate. It's not a, quite, the, quite the clean new car that Ben Kingsley thought it was. Here's a clip. Simply put, we offer humanity's greatest minds more time to fulfill their potential. And if you think about it, your homes, your yacht, a jet, all custom-built by the world's finest craftsmen, and so will your new body be as well. Ah, that's Matthew Good, the mastermind doctor who makes yes. all of these kinds of shedding transplants happen. And yes. Matthew Good appears throughout the film helping and sometimes not helping yes. our our character here that is now Ryan Reynolds, but sort of Ben Kingsley. But <laughs> <laughs> sort of Ben Kingsley. The, one thing that struck me about this film, when I, when I first saw the trailers for this, uh, I guess partly because of the premise and partly because of the title, the first thing I thought of was Face Off. It was a self-slash-less, <laughs> and I thought, oh, well, it's going to be like Face-slash-off. Um, it's a body swap movie. It's not quite that. Then what I realized watching the movie, it felt so familiar. It really reminded me of Seconds, which is this old... Uh, film from 1966 by John Frankenheimer, um, the guy who did The Manchurian Candidate, and uh, a flop at the time, although now it's a, a classic and it's like widely considered to be ahead of its time, which it really is. But it's, this, it's the exact same premise. You've got an aging, middle-aged man who decides he wants a new, younger body, a new, younger identity. Um, it's, not a, it's not a data upload, but he gets this new, younger, healthier identity, and it turns out that it's, it actually used to have a, a previous life of some kind. And he's surrounded by others like him, and he doesn't know it. He doesn't know that there are plants in the audience, quote-unquote, around him that are also people like him, which happens in Selfless. Um, so a part of me was kind of like, well, now I'm watching this movie with all these flashbacks, but I'm having a flashback to another movie, actually. <laughs> that's, that's why this movie feels like deja vu to me. You said, Kristen, that you were bothered by the way that Ryan Reynolds didn't really seem to be inhabiting Ben Kingsley. Oh, yeah. Earlier when we were on The Takeaway, yeah. that, that, that was one of my biggest criticisms is I was watching this and I'm like, we're introduced to Ben Kingsley as being just this horrible guy. He makes fun of his daughter for trying to take care of people in her nonprofit. Right. He, he does things like ruin a young man's career in the yeah. first scene of the movie. He's <laughs> yes. a despicable person. He's horrible. And his apartment, look at how garish his apartment is. Everything's right. covered in gold, but it's totally empty. Like looks, his like heart. Joan, looks like Joan Rivers' apartment. Oh, actually. really? I was going to say it looked like Donald Trump's apartment. <laughs> <laughs> that too. <laughs> so you have this like vicious, horrible man who's mean to everybody and who's lecherous and gross and he's horrible. And then suddenly, once he's in Ryan Reynolds' body, he's just Ryan Reynolds. He's just kind of cool. He's just like, I, I, I have big brown eyes. <laughs> I sometimes look concerned and confused. Right, right. And I'm Ryan Reynolds. I got big arm muscles. Wow, Ryan Reynolds, not, I just, I, I find it so hard to, like, grab on to anything with Ryan Reynolds when he's on screen. In almost any role I can think of, I, I, he's just never engaged me. I'm never compelled. I never feel like I'm stepping into Ryan Reynolds' shoes and enjoying the experience. He's just, he's such a, he's such a non-entity on the screen to me. I can't, I don't know. There's some, I feel like that's a flaw. I think the other flaw in this film, uh, unfortunately, it's a little unfair to say, 
the budget feels very limited to me in this movie. There's, there are really no effects. There are no uh, sets. It's mostly real locations. And there are really only two, a- two action sequences at all in this film. There's a, there's a car chase. And there's a very good shootout in a house, which I... Mm. Uh, and I, I yeah, think, with those flame things. Yeah, with the flamethrower, which is yeah. great. Both those scenes, uh, I think, are really good and fun. They work really well. But there's only two of them. And I feel like it's kind of, it seems like a money issue to me. It seems like they couldn't do much more with their budget. I thought Selfless was kind of an okay date. I was reasonably entertained by it. You? Mm, I thought it was okay, but it was a confusing date to me. Huh. I just, I felt like it took itself so seriously, and yet there were a lot of coincidences and logic gaps at the same time. And that's just a bad combination for me. Yeah. Yeah. You're right that it could have had a little more levity, that's for sure. Yeah. Just uh, just not the best date. It's, yeah. Bad date, you'd say? I'd say it's not a great date. Not a a great date. But I would watch it 10 times more often than Minions, given the choice. If someone (laughs) said you have to watch one of these movies 10 times this week, it'll be selfless. That's not saying anything. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, stay with us because in a moment we are going to have a little mystery date action and we're also going to talk with Ditto Montiel, the director of the last Robin Williams film. Today's Movie Date podcast is supported by Audible. Audible.com is the place for audiobooks and spoken word audio titles. They have over 180,000 titles to choose from every category possible, including books that will soon become movies like Girl on a Train by Paula Hawkins or Sharp Objects by Gillian Flynn. With Audible's great listen guarantee, you can exchange any book you aren't happy with for another anytime, no questions asked. So go to audible.com slash movie date for a free 30-day trial and free audiobook. That's audible.com slash movie date. I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Rafer Guzman. And this is Movie Date. And you can always visit us at facebook.com slash Podcast. And one of the fun things on that Facebook page this week is actually um, a little sad and upsetting, actually. It's some of the most popular films that have come out in the last few years recut so that the only scenes, the only lines spoken in the films are by people of color. So, for example, her, when you take out all of the scenes with just people of color and make that the film... It's like four seconds long. Surprisingly short. Yeah. <laughs> some of these films. Yeah, some of these films, very, very short. And it just points to our Hollywood problem of diversity, which Rafer, you and I have talked about quite a bit on the show. You can check that out. And uh, also, as always, call us anytime, 5717 Movies. We want to hear from you. Complain, praise, singing. Yeah, all that. Anything. <laughs> all right. But we have something else that we have to take care of right now, Rafer. Hi. Have we met before? Not that I remember. And I'd remember. I know so very little about you. I know very little about you. I find you very attractive. Do you find me attractive? Ah, yes, that's the mystery date sound. Mystery date. What is this week's pick, Kristen? All right, so I couldn't help but notice I'd turn on my Apple TV over the last week or two, and they kept pushing this movie on me called Walk of Shame. And, yes. And, you know, it looks like a cute romantic comedy. It's got a cast that I love, Elizabeth Banks, James Marsden, Tig Notaro, and I thought, 
why haven't we reviewed this movie, Raper? It came out in uh, two, in 2014 and got a, uh, I'm, I'm going to say, a barely limited release. Oh, probably like in three theaters for about one day, it seems like, because right. we should have seen this movie with this cast and so on. But One would think. One would think. So it shows up on the Apple TV, and then I say to Rafer, we need to make this our mystery date. So we watch it, and now, Rafer, tell us a little bit about Walk of Shame. Well, it's set in Los Angeles, and Elizabeth Banks plays uh, a local TV anchor at a local affiliate named Megan. She wants to make it to the big time, and she's got a, an interview to uh, get to the network. Uh, looks like everything's going pretty well, uh, and then it doesn't. She's turned down. She goes out with her friends, gets drunk, has a wild, debauched night, sleeps with James Marsden, the bartender at the club, wakes up and gets another phone call on her email that says, actually... You're back in the running, and you've got to make it over here as soon as possible because the network guys are coming. And now, through an unfortunate series of events, she has to walk her way across Los Angeles and find her way back to the office. Here's a clip. I am lost. I don't have a phone or money. She an undercover cop. No, she ain't no cop. That's the bitch from the news. I'm not a cop. I am the bitch from the news. I think it shouldn't be called Walk of Shame, by the way. I think uh, it should be called well. like a stride of pride or something like that. Like you had a good night. That was fun because the movie's not about slut shaming in any way. It's really stride of pride, Kristen. I like it. Or something. I don't know. I like it. The, 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 some, something else. There's got to be some other name for it because they don't use that term ever for men, right? Or mm-hmm. did your buddies ever say that to you? Like no. on a Sunday morning, like, oh, Ray, for coming home after after a wild night, walk of shame. No, no, of course not. In no. fact, the first time I, I, but I did hear that phrase for the very first time in college. I'd never heard it before, and I thought it was very funny. Um, and it was a woman who used it. Uh, I'd, I'd never heard it. Well, so, you know, I, I like Elizabeth Banks, and I really like James Marsden a lot. Um, and so you would think that those two would make a pretty good pair. And so I was kind of surprised, I remember at the time, um, when this film was, uh, I was getting emails about this film from publicists, and uh, it just kind of never wound up playing much anywhere, and I didn't wind up reviewing it. So, what did you think of Walk of Shame, Kristen? Wow, I love Elizabeth Banks, and she's just so likable. There's something she's, about yeah. her that just exudes simultaneous fun, intelligence, I will be your friend. And I mean, it's just all these great qualities, and she's just a knockout. She's a complete knockout. She's just gorgeous to look at, too. Yes. So she's got all these great qualities that make her a fun movie star. And so and very first, good, very good in comedy. She's always great in comedy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So first and foremost, I really like her. I was really happy with the surprise of their cast members. Like when Tignataro shows up, it's like, this is awesome. Tignataro's in this. Um, I also like that they don't really slut shame her. And even though it's a walk of shame, there are some people who are presuming she's a prostitute. But she is not full of shame. She's just trying to get to her job interview. She's just trying to get to her job. She's just trying to get to her job interview, right? Although I would say that the film does... It is the same you-must-be-a-prostitute joke pretty much every couple minutes. Really, really, no matter what situation she's in as she's trying to make her way across Los Angeles, she's being mistaken for a prostitute. And I would say that happens like 20 times in it this hap- film. It, it happens a fair amount. And um, yeah. yes. So I think you're right that that joke does get repetitive. One of the jokes, though, that I thought was so timely and so on point for the era we live in now is she doesn't have her phone with her. She accidentally left it at her one-night stands place. Right. And she asked to borrow people's phones, and then she realizes she doesn't know anybody's phone number. That's true. And I thought about that. I'm like, that is my life. If somebody said right now, 
call up your boyfriend, call up your best friend, call right. up, oh, totally. call up your boss. I'd be like, I don't know what their phone number is. I have one or, I have t- one no or two idea. family members. No so idea. That's about it. Yeah. My <laughs> wife's phone number. I have no idea what that is. No idea. I can call my mom and my dad actually now that I think about it and probably nobody else. I can call like 1-800-CARPETS or something. Right. Or, you know, like that's, that's, right. like that's what I can do. That's what she says in the movie, right? 1-800-Flowers. I'm sorry I remember that. It's, it's stuck in my head. Um, yeah. Well, so that was funny. I... I I don't think I ever, though, in this movie, really laughed. Do you know what I'm saying? Things struck me as kind of amusing, or Mm -hmm. things struck me as a good idea, uh, or plausible, you know, that she would be, uh, you know, mistaken for a prostitute because she's walking through Los Angeles in high heels and a party dress. But I never laughed. I never, I don't think I ever once laughed out loud. There was something about this film that just seemed kind of... Low-key and familiar and just not terribly inventive, wild, surprising, crazy, or funny. You? Now, I see what you mean where it could have gone to the next level. It could have been more wild. It could have been more slapstick. It could have been more wacky. It could have been more inventive. But all that being said... I really have to go back to the likability factor here. I just liked her so much yeah. that I wanted to be along for the journey. I wanted her to make it. I wanted things to be okay for her. And and it made it worth watching. And also, something that I think is worth pointing out, there aren't that many romantic comedies out there where the leads are 40. And there's okay. something to be said for, let's say you want to watch a romantic comedy where the kids are not in high school or they're not in college, and you want to see a romantic comedy with 40-ish people in it. There's, oh, there's I, something to be said for that, too. I think I think that's a stretch. I don't think Elizabeth Banks' character is supposed to be 40. I think she's supposed to be some kind of younger, ageless something. Even though she's in her 40s in real life? I mean, I think, yeah. But I don't, I mean, I, I, my impression of, from that movie was that both she and James Marsden are some kind of post-20s, earliest 30s Netherland, you know. They're that's, both in their forties, though. Yeah, but I but the movie I don't think make the movie makes no. There's nothing in that movie. She's not married. She's got a fiance. Uh, he's a bartender and an aspiring writer. These are all characters in terms of their place in life. You know, they they seem they seem to be skewed youngish to me. You know, she's the local affiliate chick who's going to try to make is trying to make it to the next level. I don't. I don't feel like these were like grown-up characters. Do you know what I'm saying? They seem they seem kid-ish, young-ish to me. But isn't that what America is nowadays? I mean, yeah, you could, you could say <laughs> that's true, but I it just seemed like they were kind of a non-age to me. Do you know what I mean? And just I, I guess that kind of that kind of goes to my problem with the movie is it just it seemed like kind of a it's it, the, the story is kind of a non-story. The character is kind of a non-character. I just couldn't. I don't know. I, I and by the way, I had to pay nine ninety nine to buy it. I couldn't rent it oh, on iTunes. Oh, you didn't iTunes. get it free on like Apple TV? Or? No, I had to. I had to through various reasons. But I mean, if you're just a, if you're a person out there who doesn't have whatever setup you've got, if you and you're just going to rent it through iTunes, you know, you've got to pay nine ninety nine, which seemed like a lot to ask to me, frankly. So I'm going to say this mystery date was not unpleasant, but I thought Walk of Shame was, you know. Not, not worth the check. Oh, I thought Walk of Shame's totally worth it if you're not paying, though. If you're not paying, <laughs> this is totally pleasant. There's the big totally difference. Pleasant. 
So, Kristen, we've got a guest today, uh, Ditto Montiel. He's the writer-director of Boulevard. Um, that's a film uh, about a middle-aged married man who picks up a young gay street hustler one night and begins to confront his own sexuality. And playing that role of the married man is Robin Williams, um, who died last year. And Boulevard is his final film. And it comes out in theaters today. So you and I sat down and talked to Ditto Montiel. And we asked him why he cast Robin Williams, who's mostly known as a comedian, uh, in this serious role. And this is what he said. Every generation has grown up with a different Robin Williams. It's kind of a remarkable span. It's, you know, like you say, he's Mork, he's Jumanji, he's Academy Award winning, you know, actor, host. It's it's kind of incredible, you know. And so, you know, you ha- when you make a little movie, you have a super wish list and then you have a wish list and you have a real list and you have a real list, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's like a dream. For me, he was perfect for the role in so many ways. And this character, he's not a huge presence. He's not a big personality. He's someone who's living a mostly pleasant, mostly quiet life. But underneath the surface, there's a lot of there's a lot of pain and turmoil there. And some people have said that in real life, that's the kind of man that Robin Williams was. Did you see that in him? Um, you know, it's hard to tell. You know, because movies are it's such a weird. It's like it's like life really fast. <laughs> you know, you meet someone on a Monday and. Tuesday, you're trying to tap into anything you can so you can make a 40-year relationship feel real, you know. And then you go through all these emotions and three months later you say, see you later, and <laughs> cut. And then you, 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 you know, so it's, it's a very strange circus life, you know, um, weird world. But uh, so it's hard to tell the difference because, you know, you're talking about someone and every once in a while, like I would say to Robin, you're like, hey, man, you know, like, this is a big deal. You're walking in here. You're totally screwed up. And he'd be like, yeah, I've done the research, <laughs> you know, in a very Robin way, you know. So, so of course, there's a little piece, I'm sure, of course, in, in any any artist's work, you know. So You've had uh, Robin Williams is the, the latest in a, a pretty long string of rather major stars that you've had in your films. I mean, a, a, a short list would be Robert Downey Jr., uh, Channing Tatum twice, uh, Dwayne Johnson, um, Al Pacino. Um <laughs> Why do you think these stars say yes to you? And we are talking about smaller budget films here. Yeah, tiny ones, you know. I don't know. You know, I mean, it, it ain't the money. <laughs> I promise you that, you know. I mean, it would be nice to go out and make a, the next big blockbuster. No one's calling me. <laughs> you know? So, you, you know, you, you try to find things that touch you for whatever reason they do. And, and then you and maybe that's the same thing that touches them you know um different actors and then you know i, I like to work with actors I, i'm a real fan of of it and like the woody allen school of film i love it you know when i see people in his movies i think you're probably pretty close to that guy <laughs> you yeah. know um so i try to hopefully work with the actors in a collaborative way you know um david mammon is the king but i don't have that kind of talent so i'll, I'll just sort of try to find a way to put Let's all put a little bit of ourselves into these guys and make them feel real, and maybe people like that, you know. Now, speaking of collaboration, you actually collaborated with Robin Williams in the final cut of this film. Uh, notably, there's one scene, a very strong scene in this film that you at one point didn't want in the film, and Robin Williams said, let's put that scene back in. And that was uh, in the nursing home, his character with what his is, dad. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I love the scene, and I think he's just great in it. Something happened that summer, Dad. First, I couldn't figure it out. I didn't want to. But I knew. I knew that all the wishing and praying in the world couldn't change the fact that I was gay. 
it was a, one of those things where I was like, I didn't know that that character could even say the word gay. I just thought it was so, oh, it was so buried. But I thought he just, we worked on that scene a lot, you know. And I mean, it was one take, you know, two cameras, one of our only two camera shots. And I knew the movie could live with or without it. And and he, in the end, wanted it in, and he was right. And, uh, and you know, you know, you work with these people, you know. There's a, a scene when you talk about collaborating with, you know, him and Kathy Baker, who's just as great, you know. They they lie in bed together and they have this conversation and at the end they say I love you to each other and it wasn't in the script and we rehearsed it and uh, the night before and and you know was talking I was like maybe you should just tell her you love her you know and he said yeah let's give it a shot and then he said I love you and then she said I love you back and initially the producers freaked out and they're like why are they saying I love you and I said because they do you know and Robin was like he was adamant from the beginning being involved in the film that and I was on board entirely this was in a lot of ways, more the story of letting go than coming out. It's a, it, Of course, it's a huge deal. He suppressed being a gay man. I, I can't pretend that that's not a part of it. But to me, it was just a part of it. I thought it was a loving relationship with Kathy Baker. You know, and Kathy would say all the time to me, she'd look at me and she'd say, we had an unwritten agreement and he's breaking it. And I thought that was an interesting way of thinking of the film. You know, they did love each other, but now we have to let go. And the complications of their age making it, not a simple coming out at 23, like, married the wrong girl at 18, now I'm going to hit Chelsea, you know? <laughs> Slightly different story here, you know? So despite the serious tone of the movie, was Robin Williams funny on set? Did you see that side of him? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, it's a weird one. You know, he is Robin Williams, and he is the guy from David Letterman, you know, that jumps off the chair, and that was kind of why I thought, how interesting that he can't do that in this movie, like, no matter what. But, you know, there are times, you know, you're out at 2 in the morning with a cast of crazies on the street and, you know, he, he'd start performing as he does. And then as as you'd expect, he'd come over and once in a while, like he had – when Bob Odenkirk first showed up, you know, they're two great comedians and they had never met. So it immediately becomes this big comedic scene. So, so Robin would come over after they do something, you know, mess around for a minute and he'd be like, where was I last night? And I'd be like – and, you know, in the movie, and I'd be like, in a motel with this guy, and you totally lied to your wife. He's like, okay, no more joking, you know. <laughs> so it was, uh, you know, he was in check of himself at all times as well. Ditto Montiel, thank you so much for joining us today. The new film is called Boulevard. Cool, thank you. Kristen, it's time to go, but first, trivia. Trivia. Last week we asked... In honor of Magic Mike XXL, a question about people who take off their clothes on film. We played the following clip. What if next Friday 400 women turn around and say, he's too fat, he's too old, and he is a pigeon-chested little tosser? What happens then, eh? They wouldn't say that, would they? Why not? He's just said her tits are too big. That's different. We're blokes. Yeah, and? I think she's got nice tits, actually. I never said all about her personality. Like, I mean, she's probably quite nice if you get to know her. No, and they won't say now about your personality neither, which is good because you're basically a bastard. We asked you to name that movie where people are taking off their clothes. And you know what? We got a ton of right answers. Yes. So many right answers. And we randomly picked this one from the hat. Hi, guys. This is Christy Sabilla calling from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I believe in miracles. Where are you from? You sexy thing, you sexy thing, you. The answer to this week's trivia question is The Full Monty. Definitely going to put that on my Netflix list. I have to rewatch that. Thanks so much, guys, and thanks for a great show. 
I love that singing, Christy. Excellent, excellent. Thanks, Christy. Yes, the full Monty. Wow. Yesterday, <laughs> I was one of the lonely people. <laughs> You've got to sing more, Rafer. I can't sing because apparently <laughs> when I sing, people get upset. That's so, not true. Yes, it's horrible. I'm no. a horrible singer. I, we'll, we'll go up for karaoke some night, Rafer, and then you'll realize how oh, painful it is. Let's yeah. do it. Let's okay, do it. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Now, before we do karaoke, we have to do one more trivia question. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Uh, Well, so this week our mystery date was Walk of Shame, starring Elizabeth Banks as a local news anchor uh, who's having some difficulties in her life. And that made us think of another movie about a local news person, television news person, who's having uh, a less than stellar time. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) We're going to play a clip of that movie. Here it is. My name is Suzanne Moretta. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. (laughs) Suzanne Moretto is my married name. My own name is Suzanne Stone. That's my professional name. Suzanne Stone. It's not like I have any negative feelings about the name Moretto. Moretto is the name, after all, of my husband, who I loved very, very If you know the name of that movie about a struggling, ambitious local television anchor for whom things do not go so well, give us a call. 5717movies. Or you can message us at facebook.com slash movie date podcast.